Hey, this is Coach Freddie here, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and welcome to the I Have for Evolution, where we'll be discussing the benefits of growing and using industrial hemp for people, planet, and profit. Conversations about the history, legalization, farming, harvesting, processing, building, manufacturing, investing, and how industrial hemp can benefit people's lives, heal the planet, and how it can be used to make thousands of products and boost the economy and business. So, are you ready to join the iHemp revolution? Hey, it's Coach Freddie, and I'm here in Pennsylvania, and I'm visiting uh, at the Lime Works. I'm speaking with Chris Hertz. We're going to be talking about lime and building and using hempcrete. How you doing there, Chris? I'm doing great, Coach Freddie. Thanks for uh, taking the time to come and learn about our uh, material here and all we do. Yeah, so uh, why don't you run through this, what lime is, some of the integral parts of it, and why it's used. Excellent. So... We here at LimeWorks manufacture a made-in-America lime binder that is used with hempcrete. So it's mixed with uh, the lime that we sell with hemp herds that you can get from other sources from various areas, depending on where you are. And you can combine that with water, and you can cast it in place to make hempcrete, which is an insulation material. Right. Not to be confused with concrete, which is a structural load-bearing material. Okay. Um, so hempcrete is a um, used above grade. And uh, one of the reasons that makes lime so unique is its molecular structure. Uh -huh. okay. So when a limestone is formed, it forms with hexagonal plate crystal structures. That's very important. They have a great modulus elasticity, meaning that they have a lot of bend, but yet more importantly, they come back. So they can get a force exerted on them, uh, and they're very giving, um, but yet they come back to their original structure. Other binders in the masonry world, such as Portland cement, form hexagonal plate crystal structures, or I'm sorry, form needle crystal structures, which are very strong but brittle. And they do not, they're so small that they do not allow vapor to trans, uh, transpire through them. So they'll just kind of be in and, you know, kind of trapped in the system. So with hempcrete, the importance of that vapor permeability and the, um, Modulus of elasticity is that, you know, these units are moving. The hempcrete walls expand, contract with temperature and also water. Um, and as they get wet, they need to be able to dry out. So it's kind of this uh, symbiotic system that works together with the moisture, with the movement, um, to really create this long-lasting, unique material. And again, why it is kind of self-regulate humidity. So when lime binders are formed, all it is is crushed up limestone, they burn it, and then you hydrate it, and then you can put it back into a solution as that cures, that will convert back to a limestone. So it literally goes from a stone to a powder to a paste, and then back to a stone again. That's called the lime cycle. Now within that, there's all kinds of different varieties of limes, natural cements, hydrated limes, hydraulic limes, natural hydraulic limes, Portland cements, that can all be used to create that same kind of, you know, from stone to stone cycle. So with hempcrete, the important parts is vapor permeability and the modulus of elasticity. Those, again, are the flexibilities and the ability for it to breathe. 
So by having the original limestone have a hexagonal plate crystal structure and then having the end unit have a hexagonal plate crystal structure is very important. So with natural hydraulic limes, hydraulic limes, and air setting lime putties, you get that same hexagonal plate crystal structures. It's not until you introduce more energy temperature into the kilns that you burn that limestone with impurities at a higher rate that you'll get a, uh, um, a needle crystal structure like you do with Portland cement. Again, very strong, very durable, but doesn't allow that movement in moisture to be processed how it needs to okay. with uh, um, hempcrete. So the idea with hempcrete is that you want to make basically as little lime and as little water as possible because it's really the hemp herds are what's really bringing a lot of the uh, benefits of this insulation material because the, the hemp herd molecular structural is conical and it has lots of air space in it. So that airspace and that conical shape really are, uh, uh, and it's like a mix of these tubes and boxes of cones, and that's what's really the important part. Air is the best insulator. So unlike any of the other insulation materials out there, hempcrete has a dynamic R value that is far superior than everything else. Most R values that are judged today are the static R value. That's the air restriction of the amount of air that's being allowed to pass through the, the material. Okay. Uh-huh. So hempcrete, you know, a, a 9 to 12 inch wall, it's going to have anywhere from, you know, 1.5 to 2.4 R per inch. So you're looking at, you know, low 20s or so for a, a 12 inch wall, um, which is respectable for an insulation material. But the big uh, portion that is uh, that makes hempcrete so unique is from those molecular structures of these tubes and boxes and these cone shapes. Because what happens is the energy, your heating and your cooling, gets trapped inside these tubes and boxes and it captures it. So basically, um, it's taking a thermal mass wall, which is say brick or stone building, and combining it with this very high R value. Now what other thermal mass walls do is they continue to suck energy. So they absorb, they absorb, they absorb. You can get a brick wall to a thousand degrees, it'll keep stealing your energy from your house and it'll transmit it through and it'll just can, it'll hold and give it back a little bit. Where hempcrete is different is because of the, these tubes and boxes, it absorbs energy very uh, well. The coefficient of uh, energy transfer there is very unique. But the, the magical part is that once it hits a capacity, it stops absorbing. So that's why you use so little energy to heat and cool a hempcrete house. Okay. Because your house will absorb it, hold that energy, stop absorbing it. And so now what you're doing is you're only paying to heat the air inside your house, not heat your actual house members themselves. Okay. And that's what makes it so good. And that's where, you know, then you put these, uh, um, and then it'll give it back slowly over time. That's where in in Scandinavia they've done all these tests to show, you know, get them to, uh, you know, 80 degrees, drop them down to, I don't know, I'm sorry, I think it was 20 degrees Celsius, then drop them down to zero, 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and see how these houses with all these different insulations, mineral wool, spray foam, they held. Um, Hempcrete will outperform. And then you can chart the temperatures, analyze the area underneath the curve, and by that point then look at the energy used underneath that curve, and that's where uh, hempcrete will outperform all of these because it will plateau, plateau, and then slowly uh, release that energy back. And that ability to hold and have that capacity to 
create this kind of dynamic R value is really what makes it the most superior insulating material that I've seen. Great. Great. Now, you mentioned um, burning the lime. What do you mean by that? What do you, do you burn it? Yeah. So the process to make a usable lime product that's in a bag that will convert, that you can use to mix with hempcrete, mm -hmm. it has to go through a process. And that's where you uh, you burn that. You put it through the kiln. So you've all heard of uh, lime kilns and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So the process is they quarry the lime. They put it into, they break it up, get into chunks, you know, the size of your fist, maybe smaller. And then they burn it. What happens when you burn it is you're actually pushing off CO2, carbon dioxide. Okay. So that chemical formula goes from calcium carbonate, CaCO3, and then introduce heat or energy. And now that converts to... Uh, um, calcium oxide so now what is being pushed off is carbon dioxide and that's going to be important don't forget about that little carbon dioxide that gets pushed off so now that calcium oh, i'm sorry the uh, calcium oxide is a different you know mineral that's a different uh, compound there then from calcium oxide once you introduce water h2o it creates something different now it's calcium hydroxide and now that calcium hydroxide for, and now it depends on what you started with, will uh, um, then create a, uh, that's what we call lime putty, and it will absorb calcium, or I'm sorry, it will absorb the uh, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere that it pushed off in the initial phase as it's curing, it's pulling back that carbon dioxide and sequestering it back into itself and curing. And then the chemical equation is completed with the addition to... Uh, uh, of calcium, I'm sorry, the, the calcium hydroxide plus carbon dioxide equals uh, calcium carbonate, which is limestone again. Okay. So that's where it goes from limestone to all these different phases, but then once it's cured, back to a limestone again. Okay. Now that's historic lime putties, which could be used for a, uh, a hempcrete, but they're very hard to find because right now the lime industry. Uh, most of it's going to other industries. So 11% goes to construction. Okay. The other 89% of that is going to farming, pharmaceutical, steel manufacturing, um, the food industry. So that's all being burned a slightly different way because that energy, initial energy in the kilns is very important to make sure you hit that calcium carbonate, uh, or I'm sorry, the calcium oxide um, mark. Because if you don't hit that calcium oxide mark, you're not going to go back into that lime cycle and convert back. Okay. It'll be the same thing. You can take clay, you can pack clay into a ball, and it's going to hold that shape. But you put that ball out in the weather, and it's just not going to. It's just going to disintegrate. Same thing as if you don't hit that those right chemical marks, then you're not going to get that great conversion, and your your house will literally fall apart. Okay. So that's where that's a, an air setting lime putty. That is not what we have in our mix. We have a hydraulic. That means there was a silica introduced to that calcium carbonate. And by burning that, you get a silica fusion going on as well as uh, the uh, uh, carbonation. So now you have two cures phases. You have the first is the silica fusion, and that's the hydraulic. That's where we get the name hydraulic limes. Mm -hmm. And then you get the second cure is the uh, carbonation. And that is from the calcium carbonate hitting up those marks of those uh, um calcium oxides so that's where you know, that's what we have in ours is a very slightly hydraulic lime that is carbonating with atmospherics 
CO2, so the energy that we use to push off that carbon dioxide, we're actually sequestering that back in the cure phase, but there's also going to be a little silica fusion to help with the early set. And again, that kind of combination and that balance between the silica fusion and the carbonation is what gives the uh, uh, ecologic hempcrete binder the uh, ideal cure rates. Okay. Because again, with hempcrete, it's very important to hit your cure rates. Because if you don't, you know, there's a natural protein in uh, uh, the hemp herds called lignin that could leach out and cause yellow staining on your uh, um, your plaster or okay. your um, your stucco or your render. So those lignins, and they can also cause structural differences too. So when you're casting hempcrete and you have a hempcrete wall, you really want to be conscious of the moisture content. You want to make sure that that's getting to about 15 to 20 percent moisture before you start your plastering. And that usually takes about four to six weeks. And that's one of the biggest holdups with hempcrete building on site. Once you have the wall down, and so you wait for this curing time, mm-hmm. say four weeks, and it's, and it's ready. Is there a way to test that, the water content in there? Yes. Uh, what we recommend is to get a moisture meter. Okay. And they have them with varying prong lengths, and they're you know basically needles that you can test in, and it'll read that. Okay. Uh, they're actually very common. A lot of times they'll be used in woodworking um, and other industries to judge that. Uh, uh, I use this conductivity of the material so okay. you can kind of see what the what that should be. And that's where once you kind of reach that moisture content, you know it's not going to start bleeding out anymore because it's all pretty much dry. Because okay. once they're dry and they'll be kind of locked in there. Okay. Um, but before that, as that moisture is moving from the core of the hempcrete wall to the surface, because, you know, that's how it kind of dries out, is, you know, the surface gets drier and then the core takes the longest. Once you hit that 15 to 20% moisture content, that's when you know, okay, we got this. Let's start putting our base coats on. Let's start putting the renders on. Because we have seen failure where people have not waited and seen early failure of it getting this really yellow staining. I've seen um, that. Yeah, and I've done it myself here in our product phasing because, you know, I was feeling like, well, is it just going to be yellow staining? And then we put another coat on and it's going to be fine. Because, um, you know, again, when in hempcrete constructions, the people's draw drops when you have to say, okay, now you have to wait four weeks to put your next coat on to keep going with your house, especially areas that have this, you know, thing in the later months of the year called winter. You don't yeah. like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so in, in the samples I did here, it, you know, I got that yellow staining, which was, I was like, okay, you know, that was ugly. But then a few months later, the whole thing got blown apart. And it was just, it was getting premature feeling. I was seeing a little puckering. I was seeing all kinds of, you know, almost like little crystals come in as well. Um, and that was just probably the, you know, precipitating anything out of that. Um, and it, it just, it was... A disastrous failure. So, and again, the first thing I do when I you know, talk to people about hempcrete is you can't rush it. It's just, you know, okay. you really understand the parameters of it because the temptation is real to say, okay, this looks awesome. Let's keep going. It feels dry. It looks dry. Mm-hmm. But you put that moisture meter on there and you still might be at, you know, 50% moisture. There's still a lot of lignans left to come out of there. Then you start applying the finished plaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's where, again, uh, how and... Uh, uh, you know, as Andy has mentioned and will mention here, um, Limeworks kind of got into this is that, you know, we focused on these historic uh, lime renders, plasters, stuccos, and mortars and materials to put on old uh, masonry houses. 
because the same is true with the vapor transmission and the modulus of elasticity. How old houses, masonry houses, handle the movement in moisture, the same necessity that a hempcrete or a straw bale house needs to handle the moisture movement. There's a lot going on there, so you need the material to be able to accommodate that. Okay. Um, so that's where, from a hempcrete, you, on the exterior, there's lots of different options on how to finish it. You could even do traditional siding and, you know, clapboard, wood, aluminum, vinyl, what have you on there. For me, the biggest uh, benefit of hempcrete is that you don't need to do that. Exactly. You don't need to do the wire. You don't need to do the house wrap. You don't need to do the wire lath. You don't need to do caulk around the windows. All that stuff's already done. That's not petrochemicals, and you're not relying on, it, on adhesives. So once you're at that 15 to 20% moisture on the exterior, you're looking at a three-coat system. Total depth is probably going to be about uh, three-quarters of an inch to an inch. Okay. So usually what we recommend is a three-eighths of an inch first coat. You want to put that on very tight, steep angle trowel um, using a, a lime mortar, um, whether or not that's from us or not. Um, to make sure that that's going to be holding that moisture and movement in uh, in balance. And then uh, you let that cure. Uh, I know with our stuff, our Ecologic Top Coats, they are pre-blended. They already have the sands in them. They already have the lines in them. Come in 12 different stock colors. Okay. Uh, the base coat, you don't really need to worry about the colors too much. But you have to wait five days. So you let that cure. Make sure it's all really keyed in because you really want uh, uh, your renders, especially in lime, to have two different types of bond chemical and mechanical the chemical is it uh, absorbing into the the substrate whether or not that's the hempcrete okay. or the uh the first coat or the second coat and then the mechanical is it being able to grab as you know you see i don't know if you've seen lots of pictures and then what we had just saw here in our lab or in our corn crib uh hempcrete is one of the most ideal substrates for plaster and exterior renders Every plaster and stucco I've ever shown hemp to, hempcrete to has just you know fallen instantly in love and said, "Oh my goodness, this is the best substrate I've ever seen." You know, there's just all these little nooks and crannies for it to grab onto. So it has a great chemical bond, okay. and since it's absorbing and it's already uh, you know basically a limestone with hemp herd in it, um, it's uh, it's a great chemical bond as well. And so what you get is this interconnected pore system from the render to the lime that is in the uh, hempcrete. So you have great vapor transmission. So you're not gonna get any kind of barriers because you can have material that is material A that is breathable, material B that is breathable, but you put them together, but they're closed walled systems. So you don't get any uh, transmission through that. Okay. But with lime, it's unique. So it absorbs in with that chemical bond structure, you get this interconnected pore system. And that's what's important for that vapor permeability. Okay. Um, so then, after you have your base coat on, you do another three-eighths inch coat. Uh, again, we have options. So you can either buy our pre-mixed bags and uh, everything's in there. All you have to do is add water on site. We do have the option of just selling the natural hydraulic lime. And then you get sand on site, which is a little bit cheaper of a method to do, too. Uh, we do have other additives in our pre-blended materials that aid in the water retention. So it helps the gearing, the air and training, so it makes it a little bit more fluffy, and the uh, flowability or the plasticity, so it spreads a little bit more easily. Okay. But once cured, going with just the uh, NHL mortars and the um, sand mixed on job site or the pre-mix, you're going to be at the, basically the same point. Okay. We'll help you out with mix ratios, what kind of sands to use, because okay. it does matter. It's very important. Uh, and again, you'll see early failures. Uh, Pre-wetting. 
not pre-wetting the substrate is probably one of the first reasons we see failures. So people go to a hempcrete wall and start saying, okay, I'll put a render on. The first thing you need to do is pre-wet. So that means spray your hempcrete down. Now this is different because now you take a moisture meter then that's going to be much higher than that 15 to 20%. But you know it's not going to like activate those lignans again. They're kind of locked in the system. Okay. So you do want to pre-wet, put your first coat on, and then after that you'll wait about five days. Really make sure your, your coat's scratched up and keyed up, we say. Because um, then that'll increase the mechanical bond. Then you can put your second coat on. And that's going to be, uh, again, about three-eighths of an inch. And then uh, for your third coat or your finished coat, there's so many different options. Between texture, color, gradation, aggregates in them, how you tool it. It can really be, you know, you know it's only limited by the cre- your creativity and, and hand skills okay. with the tools. On the inside, it's very similar. You're going to be a three-coat system, very traditional uh, um, as well as almost like over wood lath plastering. So you have your scratch, your brown, and your finish. Again, there's kind of the way I like to describe it for why you do three coats is you're trying to achieve one goal on each coat. So the first goal is adhesion. So on that first coat. So you okay. really want to make sure that that's really in all the nooks and crannies of the hempcrete okay. or your substrate and really got grabbing onto there. Your second coat is your leveling coat. So that's where you want to make sure your wall is perfectly level and plumb. Oh, okay. All right. um, and then your third coat is you're working on your texture. It's very hard to do two of those coats at once, um, or right. two of those goals at once, I should say. So that's where you're going to be looking for um, those tasks. And also it helps with the, the flowability of it and uh, handling the movement and the moisture to do three lifts. Just about any kind of color that you have. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is important as we are coloring it or because, you know, some people will just buy the lime from us, which is perfectly okay, buy the sand from locally available in bulk, which is awesome, uh, and color it themselves. Perfectly suitable. Well, I'll help you. I'll coach you through the whole thing. You know, I'll try and be just like you, Coach. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll coach you through these projects. Um, but it is important. Iron oxide earth and mineral pigments pigments that are alkaline and uv stable so the reason why mineral pigments and earth pigments are all stable are because they're basically broken down to their elemental level so uv rays from the sun and the alkalinity from the lime aren't going to further break them down and you want to make sure they are uh, uh, insoluble to water as well so the you know additional water is okay. not going to put them into solution so if you do that, you're going to have long-lasting colors. And that's why my, my best bet and what I always recommend is put your color in your top coat, your finished coat. And some people think, oh, I'll just use the you know a non-pigmented uh, top coat and then I'll just paint it. Which is okay if you use a breathable paint, either a lime paint or a potassium silicate paint. But you, you can also just put it into the top coat. It's going to be much more long-lasting. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's going to last a lot longer. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, the potassium silicates will last decades, but you do want to just be a little careful to make sure that you're, uh, um, you know, you're, you're applying them properly and not use, you know, traditional latex or acrylic or oil-based paints because then you just wreck the vapor permeability. Yep. All the work you did to have a nice hempcrete house that will self-regulate humidity and suck the moisture right out of the air and make you an awesome little env- living environment yeah. right down the drain. So how did you get hooked up with uh, LimeWorks? So uh, my career started uh, when I was a teenager in the masonry field. I started working as a mason tender. Well, all I was doing was just mixing mud at that point, carrying it to all the stonemasons. I grew up working for a fourth-generation stonemason in northern Vermont. Um, did it through the summers. 
originally it was just uh, you know it's fun, it's good money, and it was uh, fun to lug rocks around and mix mortar. Then I uh, went to school. I went to got my degree uh, from Bates College in Lewiston, Maine, and that was uh, in geology, where I focused on a lot with geochemistry and specifically salts in the environment from deicers and natural sulfates that are already in the groundwater, as well as uh, you know the chemical composition and mineralogy of the stone. Um, and then after that, I went back to masonry, thinking that my, my life of geology may have come and gone. I really wanted to, but it was just, you know, it kind of fell in my lap. Uh, I started working for another mason. I was, I was uh, looking for a geology job. And then uh, I just started my own uh, masonry company. Okay. And I uh, started doing historic masonry restoration. Um, moved down to Pennsylvania in 2010. Mm-hmm. Did it, had my own company for about four years. And then uh, when I decided that uh, I, you know having my own company wasn't for me at that time, I uh, uh, was hanging up the old trowels, as they say. And my boss Andy gave me a call because I had started uh, buying from LimeWorks and using their products for my historic masonry restoration, not for hempcrete at that time. Um, he offered me a position you know, in the okay. uh, in the in the lab doing product development, color simulation and uh, program management here at LimeWorks. So then uh, when Andy offered me a job, I uh, started working in the lab doing product development and business development and program management. It was, I think, my second year here. He, he you know, we had this product. It was called Hempcrete Binder. I didn't really know too much about it. I knew about industrial hemp from uh, my education and whatnot, uh, and just, you know, through the grapevine and whatnot. And then after that, it was, you know, just learning about hempcrete through, uh, through LimeWorks. And mm-hmm. then he said, you know, we, we just wanted to redevelop the chemical formula and the, uh, the different additives that we had into our hempcrete binder. He asked, tasked me to kind of take that on. And then, uh, again, I was fortunate enough to go down to Costa Rica and train with Steve Allen on the first industrial hempcrete structure in Costa Rica. And, um, and he took me down there. We did a lot of work with the application, did a lot of research on it, utilized a lot of resources from Europe, because again, you know, they're about 30 years ahead of us and when it comes to hempcrete. Then, you know, after taking courses myself, uh, developing the formula, doing lots of different mixes. Oh my goodness, we made so many different mixes in the Anything else you want to say on that? Yeah, I think, and then after, um, you know, we did lots of different mixes and got that uh, to one we really liked. Uh, And again, the idea was to really drive down the time it took from application to when we reached that 15 to 20% moisture. Okay, yeah. And that's what we were really focusing on, trying different additives, throwing Portland cement in there. And what we were finding finding was just that, you know, all these, uh, you know, what we thought was going to work, it wasn't quite quite the same until we found on uh, one that contains no Portland cements, like I said, a slightly hydraulic mix that utilizes the silica fusion as well as the carbonation. Okay. And, you know, it's been successfully using that for a couple of years now. Well, Chris, uh, thank you very much for being a guest on the IHAMP Revolution podcast. Ah, you're very welcome, Coach Freddie. And again, thank you so much for taking the time to come down and see us and uh, spread the word about hemp. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in today and make sure that you subscribe to the iHemp Revolution podcast on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. Give us a review and follow us on facebook.com forward slash iHempRevolution. Like us 
and then tell your friends. Help us spread the word about how using industrial hemp can benefit people, heal the planet, and provide long-term profit. This is your host, Coach Freddie, inspiring people to do things that inspire them, and thanks for joining the iHemp Revolution.